everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode, Where Does Your Journey Stem From?, hosted by myself, Dr. Karina Minardi. Today, we are so fortunate to have a graduate student from Texas A&M University joining us, um, and let's welcome to the stage, Noah. Hey, Noah, how's it going? Hello. It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Welcome. Uh, so Noah Lemke is an NSF graduate research fellow and PhD candidate in the Department of Entomology at Texas A&M University. He researches the reproductive behavioral ecology of the black soldier's fly, a species of insect being mass reared by companies around the world to convert agricultural residuals into feed for livestock and fertilizer for crops. His research aims to understand how evolutionary processes have shaped the black soldier fly's reproductive behavior and how specific behaviors might persist or be modified within captivity. Noah's research has taken place in a variety of contexts, ranging from the lab, greenhouses, to the fly's native habitat. In addition, he's active in several multidisciplinary research groups and has mentored several students towards successful STEM careers. So again, Noah, we are so excited to have you. Um, welcome. And you know, the first question that we normally ask all of our guests is, tell us a little bit more about you as a person. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be on. Um, so I'm not a Texas native. So a lot of the students here are. Um, I'm actually from Chicago. So I made quite a, quite a big transition to come down here. And uh, I think some of my hobbies include uh, cooking. I really like cooking. Um, I'm a guitar player, play the drums too. So I'm uh, kind of diverse in some of the things that I can do. Besides research, yeah, even though that occupies a lot of my time. Oh, yes, I remember those days. Yes. Um, but this musician, I think, and musicality is, is a commonality amongst um, some of our STEM guests previously. Um, so it's really fascinating. What What is it about music that, that you love? It was um, like a way to, I think it became something, a, a way to like process emotions, uh, a way to escape. And um, like, I think the things that, there are a lot of different things that, that I enjoy that I can enter like a flow state. So music is one of those things I can do it with creative writing um, where I can sort of like be myself and like by myself and just kind of follow that path and find a new thing. And that'll, you know, sort of just exist and be. And music is interesting because it has some aspects that are mathematical, but it also has some aspects that are a language. And then there's also like a self-development part too, because there are different sets of skills that you can build that are complementary, but they're not exactly the same. And so like with guitar, you, you know, you start off just like trying to get basic chord shapes and then you progress to the next thing, which is like, you know, strumming and then you get to the next thing and it's like, oh, wait, no, there's actually way more complicated things like getting scales and then arpeggios and sweeps and, uh, you know, your tremolos and, and all these other things. And then, it, it, you know, it keeps ratcheting up and then you start getting into listening to more complex music and it's, it's, it's almost endless, right? So I, I, yeah. like, I like that aspect to it. And then there's the collaborative part where you get to then create something. And I, I like... I like that because in high school, what I used to do was um, use a, a like a MIDI 
controller and uh, compose music. And I actually have some of that online. Um, so a lot of my efforts have actually been like creative. So, and I do think that science can be a creative thing because even though you're, it can be more constraining than some of the soft sciences or some of the arts, you're still allowed to express yourself uh, through, you know, just in different ways. Oh, absolutely. I think the creativity around um, resource stewardship and coming up with a creative way um, in solving a problem and addressing a hypothesis was is spot on. I mean, that is, it's an art. Science is an art, um, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah, it just... It's just sort of sort of forces you to be a little bit more efficient, but it's also not like artists don't have to do that too, right? Because they have to manage their budget for their supplies and source all that stuff too. It's like they're they're sort of overlapping things, right? And so actually, like I'm sure you're aware of this. So like STEM has sort of morphed into STEAM now, right? And so like I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So like even in our school, like they did a whole merger too of uh, so the College of I think uh, I I'm speaking I'm speaking when I don't really know, but I know that there was a merger that included like some some level of of liberal arts, and there was some pushback, and I was like, but wait a minute, like we need we need graphic artists too, like we need we need these people, these people are important, you know, we need to be able to communicate what we do, you know, that that's the most important part. Well, and it's interesting too. Um because I had a, a mall, she's going to be, uh, she is a guest on the podcast and she went to a liberal arts college and she um, got to design her own major. And it was, we had a whole discussion around the allure for liberal arts because it, it provides, you know, the holistic educational ground plus the arts, plus the science rigor um, in order to support, you know, you and your your um, undergraduate experience that then translates to obviously a career. Um, so you talked a little bit about you uh, coming from Chicago and now you're a pseudo Texan. Yeah, I, yeah, Same. I have the I have the license plate and I like barbecue and, and Tex-Mex now. But I'm, yeah, I think. I, yeah. When I'm away for a while, when I'm away for a while, I, I miss it, but you know, I still get homesick. So I don't, I don't really know what to make of that. Well, you, you favor both. So tell yeah. us a little bit about your, your um, sort of pre-grad school and living in Chicago and what motivated you to enter STEM, I think from a early career. Oh, well, so, uh, like I went to high school in our, um, in the suburbs of Chicago, and I was I was in gifted education in high school um, honors, and so a lot of the students that I was with, uh, they were the type of people that at least they professed that they always had like a plan, like they wanted to do this, they want and and they were going to go to school to do that, and you know, and that was uh, that was intimidating, right? Because I didn't know what I wanted to do, <laughs> and uh, you know, as I said, I had all these different interests, and you know, being able to just like, pick one—that was—I don't know—it seems crushing in a way, right? To just say I'm just going to do this one thing for the rest of my life. How how could how could anyone pick that? You know, but some people do, and they're satisfied. 
And so for me, um, I ended up in community college um, because I graduated um, during the 2008. It wasn't in 2008, but it was, I graduated in 2011. And so the recession had sort of, sort of picked up. And so like going to college was sort of like a ref, like a refuge, right? And so the same thing is sort of happening now, right? So in 2020, there was another big, I think, well, there was a dip, but in, I think, admissions, but I think a lot of people had the same idea that you could go to college to sort of, um, you know, bide your time. And so I um, spent four years trying to figure out what I wanted to do in community college, and I went through a bunch of different majors. And so I found out that the path that I took is actually like this biological phenomena called emergence. And so I started with math and then I went to physics and engineering and then I went up to um, chemistry and then biochemistry. And then that's when I graduated and I decided I wanted to go to uh, university for biochemistry because um, I thought maybe it would be like applicable to like food science because I like cooking, right? And so that, that seemed the, the major, most similar to, to cooking, right? But then when I got to university, they didn't admit me into the major I wanted. And I had to take this cross-listed course. And that was the course that like I had one of these, we were talking about it before we started that, you know, I had a professor who um, taught a class in a completely different way than any of the classes that I had ever taken. And he, um, the class was um, population ecology. And ecology as a subject is very different than any of the previous um, levels of organization um, because it is complex. And in order to actually do justice to that subject, you can't eschew that complexity. You have to, you, you sort of have to approach it like head on, right? And that's what the professor did is he, he, He's he treated the students like you're we're peers. We're gonna you know approach this at you know as a complex subject, and I I really appreciated that. And so then uh, I asked him for a summer research uh, opportunity, and he said yeah. And then it sort of went from there. So tell us a little bit more about the summer research opportunity. Um, okay, so uh, well that was interesting because he. I remember the question exactly. He asked me how much I like bees and I really, I don't like bees. Uh, <laughs> I was afraid of bugs at, at the time. And this is a man who did uh, his, uh, his PhD on digger wasps. And so like, I was like, petri I was like petrified. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, well, well crud. Uh, cause I'm in an R1 university and I need to do research. Otherwise I'm like wasting my, I'm like, I'm, that's what I came here to do. Right. So I said, yes. And then we got, I, he's like, great. Okay. I do research out of this prairie, you know, come meet me there. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I went and I meet him at the prairie. And so then we were, were fiddling around with these ideas of, of what to do. And, uh, he's like, okay, so you don't really like bees. What about hoverflies? And so that's not really that much better because hoverflies are just these things that look like bees. And, um, but there, it was too early in the season. And so um, it's cold in Chicago, right? And so uh, we didn't actually find any hoverflies, not enough to do anything meaningful. And so then he put it on me to like come up with a project of my own. And I'm someone who had been influenced pretty heavily by 
CSI. And so I thought I had like this, like crazy thought that I could be someone like Gil Grissom. Right. And Gil Grissom is like this person who could do like everything, but then in addition to everything, he also knows about bugs. And even though I was afraid and terrified of bugs, I was like, I can overcome my fear. I can do this. And so like, the summer research experience was like trying to figure out like what's the cheapest way to get like a carcass and then like put that out in the prairie and then document all the different types of bugs that would come and then and like sort of try to do it in this sort of rigorous way and it ended up being that the cheapest way to get a substantial amount of meat is to go to this like mexican butcher shop and then just get pig heads and so this ended up being like a Lord of the Flies type thing. And so <laughs> it, it, it was like, it was crazy. <laughs> and then that's, that's how I, uh, it kind of, it kind of developed from there because uh, there were like lots of different bugs and I didn't know how to identify them, but I needed to figure it out. So I started looking into the literature and what I was doing wasn't strictly forensic because forensic involves um, application with the law. And so I wasn't doing anything with a legal case, right? It was just the ecology part. But there are people who are forensic entomologists and they do um, study the development of these insects from um, cadavers or surrogates in order to determine, um, be able to apply that information to legal cases. And so there are publications out there that document this type of thing. And so I would look and I would see, okay, well, what type of fly is this, you know? And so like the keys are published and the keys, uh, you know, they would, they would have you like go and look at this fly under a microscope and there'd be like the difference between this species and the other species is basically just down to the number of and position of the hairs on its on its abdomen, like there one might be missing from the middle of its back, and I was like, oh, okay, so that's what makes this fly or that fly, you know, different. And so as I did it enough, I realized that there was like this guy's name popped up everywhere, and so that guy and is is actually my advisor right now, um, and um, he's one of the predominant figures in the field. But when I came here, um, I sort of, I discovered that, um, well, he has a second line of research. He has the lab sort of divided into two right now. So one of them is forensics and then the other is waste management. And when I discovered that he did waste management, I thought that it was way more interesting. And so I kind of threw away everything I was doing about forensics. And then I, I landed on, this black soldier fly. So I love that. Uh, I love that story. And thank you for reminding me about Gil Grissom. I totally forgot that he was a bug dude. Um, I remember him as yeah. a character. I just, yeah, I totally it's like that. him and the, the guy from Bones. Like, yeah. Him, the guy from Bones. And then I always think of like Silence of the Lambs, unfortunately. Um, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, really fascinating. I love that you took a turn into community college and you kind of tested the waters on all, a whole bunch of different, I think, areas, because as I've had various conversations with folks, um, it's really interesting because I, I always tend to emphasize the fact that it's like, okay, you might 
like something or enjoy the subject matter, but it's almost more important for you to figure out what you don't like um, in a subject matter. Oh, so that's actually, I, I actually said that um, exact thing to someone earlier this earlier this morning because I, I had a guest from out of town and yeah, so it was, it was in the context that I have a lot of things that are interesting to me, but in order to figure out what could like sustain me for a long time, I needed to figure out exactly what you just said. It's that there might be some critical thing about the thing that I like that is just not going to work. And like for like engineering, I really hated that the critical assumptions and a lot of the physics uh, was just like, it just simplified the problem in a way that made it not real. I, I didn't like, I didn't like that. But I also say that out of ignorance, because I know that there are definitely some advanced, you know, models in engineering that, that, that does make it complex. And I just probably never got to that point. But it was frustrating yeah. for me. It was frustrating for me at the time. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've used this example tons of times, you know, as you were talking about your your colleagues in, in high school, you know, knowing exactly what their path was. I knew exactly what my path was. My father was a clinician. And so I just kind of assumed that I was going to be as well. And um, I don't particularly like sick people. And I just thought I could get over it. And that came to fruition that I just couldn't get over it. And so it was kind of like this sort of idea of um, this magnificent profession. And then it's like, oh, but I don't like this inherent fact that you're going to have to deal with on a daily basis. There's a lot um, of paperwork too nowadays. Yeah. A lot of paperwork, a lot yeah. of interfacing with uh, computers, um, and you're not actually dealing with sick people. So hindsight being 2020, shoot. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. regardless, um, no, I, I really, I, I like that. And I like your kind of tour de force around. Um, plus, in, in all transparency, you hit out in college. I hit out in grad school because of the recession, 2011. Um, that was exactly why I went to grad school, too. Um hmm. Yeah, it got paid for, and I could hide out there for five years. There yeah. you go. There's a sense of realism there. Yeah. Um, so you said that your father was a clinician. So my dad and my stepmom, who I lived with growing up, um, they didn't go to college. So I sort of had the opposite experience, and so going to college for me was sort of like a way to not be like them. Yeah, first generation. Yeah. Did you have a hardship around describing to them the importance of it? Or yes, like, or, or like now, why you're getting a PhD? So um, after I got my master's, they came around to it. Um, but that's also because I've had quite a lot of success. And so I think that it's it took a, it took a while, right? And so part of it is also because they're very fiscally conservative. And so like part of that success has also been the challenge of having to fund myself and, and maintain being debt free. Right. And so, um, you know, once I've done that and like shown that, then, then 
then then it's like, oh, okay, well then this can't be a fulfilling or a sustaining career. But you know, they it's it's not like it's like there are some additional implicate like unspoken things, right, about being first generation. It's not just that they haven't been to college. It's really that it's like anathema. They have no concept. It's because like those conversations aren't just like, oh, how was class? It's like, well, even the structure of class and how things operate are different than high school, right? And so it's the, the conversations can't really even, they can't get anywhere. And then, and then you go the next step to like a master's program and then the next step to a PhD. And then like the distance keeps on getting bigger. And so in order to like sort of connect with them, I've had to try to, well, being in an applied field has helped, right? Because it's forced me actually to like level with everyday people and show the applications of my work, like all the time, with almost everything I do. So that that's helped a lot. Um, so I can say, hey, this is this is what I do. Um, this is the model organism that I work on. These are the results. This is who it impacts. You know, this is the future of it. And then so on and so forth. I, I love that. Um, and I can. So two things. Um, I was always, you know, trying to explain to my family, like, why? why are you building this thing? What do you do? Like I was doing microfluidics at the time. And so I would show them videos and they would go, okay, what are the applications? And it's hard if you're really into the theory based. Um, yeah. And then the other piece is that we had a, a guest on Maria at New Mexico state and she uh, came from migrant farm workers. Both of her parents are migrant farm workers. And it was so interesting. Her sort of very similar um, situation to yours of, you know, having to explain like, oh, I'm a tree doctor. What do you mean I'm a tree doctor? And like having to, uh, you know, kind of get over that sort of hurdle. Um, but I, so, I, I mean, it, it takes, it takes all, right? Yeah. So my mom has a closer experience to me because she went to, um, she has, I think a PhD equivalent in um, education um, and test and she has a specialty in testing. Um, but it's still not exactly the same because like, it's not like she went through a comprehensive exam or like an oral defense or anything like that. And I had the, I had the lucky experience of having to do that twice. So <laughs> That's horrifying. That is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could not. Yeah. I don't know. I have like PTSD thinking about those days. Um, but it's so funny because after your dissertation defense, I know you're not there yet, but when it when it does come and you're done and it you just look back and you go, wow, that was anticlimactic. Like all yeah, of that work for that. <laughs> that's what everyone says. So I I am really I'm I'm planning on uh I'm planning on I'm seeing some friends that are in Europe and then I've got a, a conference in, in Singapore after that. I want to do a little bit, maybe like a five minute um, overview. Um, I think about your current research, you know, what you obviously have a NSF uh, fellowship. So um, that's oh. based obviously on a proposal. Um, and, and I'm just curious if you can deep dive a little bit about what are you currently doing? What is, I mean, we alluded to it a little bit in your bio, but. Um, sure. So the proposal was actually for something that was, it was based off of my master's, which was strictly theoretical. Um, 
And so during my master's, I was modeling cannibalism and, and, and like spiders during the early stages of their life because, and so this is not what I do now. Um, but when spiders are, are when, at least when wolf spiders are born, um, the, the mothers carry the egg sacs on their back. And so all the spiders are in the same area. It's not like the eggs get deposited in different areas. And so spiders are highly cannibalistic. They eat each other. And so there's an interesting question there, which is why don't they all eat each other as soon as they hatch, right? And so there must be some sort of physiological or ecological mechanism to stop them from eating each other as soon as they hatch, because if they did, then the populations would collapse. So I modeled that. Um, and that I was hoping, uh, would have some applications to, um, uh, agricultural systems because there are some, I don't know how realized it is, but there's an idea that you could, um, create refuges for natural predators. And so natural predators are, um, like if you, uh, create, uh, did I already say refuge? If you create, um, so if you have a monoculture of like, I don't know, corn, and there are pests that fly to the corn and, and eat the corn, well, maybe you can build up some brush along the edge to harbor whatever is going to eat the pests. So the predators of the pests. And some and so spiders could be that. But I never got to the point of modeling that because I won the GRFP. And so then uh, with the GRFP, um, it's sort of like an essay writing contest, right? You're not tied to the research. And so I asked myself, okay, well, if I'm not tied to the research that I proposed, if I don't have to continue doing this, what's something that I really wanted to do? And so then I reached out to a couple of different people and I thought about it and I said that, well, I would regret it if I, if I didn't take the opportunity to come to Texas A&M and study the black soldier fly. And the black soldier fly was really enticing to me because, um, it's like it as a symbol it's sort of like it should speak to a lot of us at least in ecology because the larva um can digest and subsist on almost any type of uh, organic waste and so you can feed them as you said in the um the intro organic or agricultural residuals and so those are whatever is left over from agriculture. So it could be, um, so like silage, not silage, excuse me. Um, it could be, so like if a farm, uh, if there's a weather event that causes damage to a farm and let's just say it's tomatoes, right? And so there's damage and half the tomatoes end up getting, a, you know, damaged in a way that they're not marketable, then, well, those would normally just get left to rot, right? But what you can do is you can take those and you can gather them up. And then instead of putting them in landfill, then you can feed them to the flies. And then the flies get plump and then you harvest them. And then you have feed for um, a lots, bunch of different livestock, right? And so then the soldier flies themselves, they can get fed to um, chickens and pigs and cattle. And uh, it doesn't really work so well with cattle because cattle are ruminants and they can eat pretty much anything already, but monogastrix, it's, it's a good system. Um, and so there's like this circular system here where the soldier flies can eat waste 
and then be fed to animals and animals produce waste. And so the waste they produce can then be refed to soldier flies and then be fed to a different animal and then back and forth. And so there are now a bunch of companies worldwide that do exactly that. They're rearing these flies in mass. And so my research sort of addresses the issue that um, in order for these companies to scale up, they're going to need a lot more flies. And I research uh, reproduction. And so it's the process of how to get more flies, right? And so um, it's been uh, an effort to analyze, like, what are the different ways that that process could be optimized? What are sources that are contributing to variation? Um, and also how to just, uh, how to examine the different, like, I guess, facts that have been entrenched within the literature that may or may not be true, because that that tends to happen. And um, we found out that, you know, a couple of them, you know, are, are not really true. And it's like, they're obviously not true when you start looking at them. So um, if you have- a, That's really fascinating. That is so, yeah. That's really cool. Um, I, uh, reproductive behavior. So I guess- Yeah, I can, uh, explain, I can explain more. I just don't want to get into the weeds if- uh, No, that's fine. No, yeah. that's cool. Um, I, I'd be curious though, um, that's really an interesting overview of your research. So my, I guess my next question is, is what do you want to do with this? I mean, you obviously clearly have demonstrated the, the application, but then after graduation, you know, what do you want to continue the research in a professorship? Do you want to go work for some of these companies that have scaled it? Um, so like an ideal position would be to uh, work for, well, it's one of two routes, right? One is to work for one of the, I think two or three largest companies being um, part of the R&D team that, um, that researches to continue essentially my line of research, right? Um, because this, I'm lucky that my research like really has such a direct application, right? Because I'm doing research that the companies like quite literally need. Um, but so that's, that would be one ideal solution. Another one, which might, which definitely requires more, uh, it's, it's tougher, would be like a postdoc in a lab um, that, that then also continues the research stream. Um, and I, unfortunately, I've had a couple of those fall through, so. Postdocs, man, it's, it's, it's a hard world out there. Because um, yeah. it's so it's so dependent on funding and a whole bunch of different um, out of your power um, issues. Well, yeah. So like one I was considering uh, was there was a Fulbright, but it was to Israel. And so, well, they're at war, so can't really go there. See, out of your hands. <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you, don't, you, you don't have control over everything. And so like uh, in my, so like in my head, I have a list of, um, 
I have a list of potential labs that I could reach out to. Um, and so I'm waiting to hear back from, I think, some people, and then I'll, I'll get back to it. I know that sounds kind of, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's in, uh, I'm in a little bit more turmoil than I'd like to be. Eh, you know what? You're, once it's after the dissertation, it kind of is life and turmoil. Um, <laughs> I hate to say it. Um, so my last question, I know we're wrapping up, but my last question is, is, um, you know, hindsight being 2020, reflecting back, let's say 10, 15 years ago, what would be your, um, your words of wisdom to yourself as you were creating this sort of career trajectory and path? As I say to myself now is that all the things that you worry about, you know, in the moment are things that, you know, you're not going to worry about in the future. Like they just, they just don't, they don't really seem to matter <laughs> like that much. Like you think that they're a really big deal. And then like a week later, you realize that there's, there's something else or you, you learn some new information and then it changes your perspective entirely. And then you realize that all that worrying that you ever did is just like, it's a waste of, uh, you know, you're beating yourself up too much. So, and I don't, I need to take my own advice because I don't even, <laughs> I, I, I worry too much. Yeah, I think you just used the word turmoil. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Noah, um, I, I love those words. I think that's, that's exactly right. I mean, there really is. I mean, as you were talking, I was like, I don't even remember what I got in organic uh, grade wise or tests oh, or well, really yeah. back in the day, like geometry, like, eh. Yeah. I, uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the connections that you make with people are, are really important too. Yeah. Uh, I know that's yeah, especially like as you get older. That's just like a truism, right? Like you hear that and you don't really know what it means if you're if you're younger, but then like as as you get older, like you'll hit these benchmarks and you realize, oh crap, I needed to network a lot more. I needed because uh, because I need someone to vouch for me, or I needed to I I needed to meet someone at a conference, and you know I I need some help, and it's like in order to like get that help, you need to have like a a, a robust network of people to to ask help to and and like yeah so like every little every little opportunity you can get to like go to a conference or reach out to someone or like that stuff adds up over time and you don't have to do a lot all at once but just like a little bit here and there it you know Absolutely. over the over the course of your career it, it matters and don't necessarily um i know a lot of people are heavily relying on their pi and it's like well what if something catastrophe, you know, a catastrophe happens to them? Oh, or yeah. The, if the relationship sours, what happens? Who are you going to leverage? Well, that's um, that's true too, because like it's, although it's not like extremely common, like there are a list of situations that could happen, right? So your PI could take a job, they could leave, they could switch um, universities, they could get denied tenure, um, they could you know, a lot of things like that. And so it's like really like the networking is a way to like build yourself like 
you know, build self-resilience. Security right? blanket. Yeah, a secure, yeah, security, right? And there are other ways, yeah. there are other ways to do that too, right? Like, like I think like the PI is there to like help you initially, right? But you have to do, you know, you have to be your own person too. Yeah, and figure out what, you find your own voice too. You know, like what do you want to lead with in the conversation and everything and what drives you as a person and how do you map those um, I think commonalities between people and find those in the, your network. Um, yeah. I think the last thing I would say is that if, uh, if you have the means, definitely visit a lab before you go. Uh, and that if, uh, and if you don't definitely talk to the students of the, the lab, the, the PI, which just cause you know, you want to get a uh, an idea of of what working for that person might be like because people um, have different working styles and different communication styles and they might not necessarily line up with your own and like getting into grad school is sort of like getting married because uh, you're kind of stuck with them for quite a long time. Yeah, and divorce is painful. Yeah, it's very, very, very <laughs> painful. And, you know, and some universities might not even allow it, right? So, like, some universities can, you'll, you'll, are, you can switch advisors and then others. It's, you know, you lose a lot by, like, by, you know, you might have to switch schools. And that's, yep. you know, you're giving up a lot. Yep. Well, I love those words of wisdom. Um, and Noah, thank you so much for your time um, and going over not only your, your um, I think, uh, journey, your career journey, but also your research. It's really, really interesting and fascinating. And um, I'm so appreciative for you being a guest. So thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you to Noah. And always remember to ask yourself, where does your journey stem from? Bye, everyone.